Have you ever had a fantastic experience with healthcare? What about a not so great one? Well, here at the Alenia Life Podcast, we're going to talk about it. The Alenia Life Podcast, a production of the Alenia Collective, exists to be a public resource to you, the listener, who at some point or another has been a patient of this crazy thing we call the healthcare system. Co-hosts and doctors of physical therapy, William Mills and Joey Rosie, interview experts in the fields of physical rehabilitation, fitness, and medicine, as well as the athletes and patients on their experiences with the good, the bad, and the ugly of healthcare. I was happy with that one. The topics discussed in this podcast should not be considered medical advice or a means of diagnosis. If you're in need of medical attention or advice, seek a licensed healthcare professional. Conversations in the Alenia Life podcast are intended for adult audiences only, and though we keep most topics professional, there is occasional strong language. Hey everyone, today's episode is from the second stop of the Musings Tour 2018. I was in Winchester, Virginia. I sat down with Dr. Jake Manley, who is a physical therapist, an athletic trainer, an amateur strongman, and one of the largest nerds I know in terms of body mass strength, and spirit. Uh, Joey called in from California and we dove straight into the origin story of Jake and how his life experiences have shaped who he is as a clinician. Uh, We hope you enjoy and thanks for listening. I am here um, on my road trip, Musings Tour 2018. I am in Winchester, Virginia, and I'm hanging out with one of the movement docs tonight. We're going to be podcasting on different aspects of healthcare, um, the aspects of healthcare that we have experienced as physical therapists, as well as patients. So we're hoping to talk on that. So without further ado, I present you Dr. Jake. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Why don't you tell us about yourself, Jake? Uh, My name is Jake Manley. I'm a physical therapist and athletic trainer in uh, Winchester, Virginia. And... um, I mean, I don't know. I like doing PT and rehab and stuff and podcasting. And I also like to pick up heavy stuff and put it on the ground or over your on head. a platform or over my head or over a bar. Cool. Uh, that's kind of all I do. Uh, <laughs> Joey, I muted you because you were getting a lot of feedback. <laughs> so I muted you because... You you forgot how to mute yourself already. Joey, just raise your hand if you want to talk. <laughs> uh, I make up uh, 50% of the movement docs um, by... Uh, Y'all's podcast. Yeah. yeah. You, want by, to, you want to plug that? Yeah, at the TMD movement docs. That's our, that's our Instagram thing, I guess. Isn't there an underscore in there? There's an underscore in there somewhere. If you just look up the movement docs, we're the one that has like a fist holding a kettlebell. Uh, we, it's it's a cool picture. So we chose that. Um, but I I would say I make up 50% of the movement docs by like intellectual property, but probably (laughs) if you go by sheer body size, more like 66.6%. Um, so definitely two thirds. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, you could round up to 66.67. Okay. Depends on, depends on significant figures and whatnot, but, uh, um, yeah. And Mike's I'll, taller, but I'm wider. Got it. You know, kind of evens things out a little bit. Yeah. Um, it would be perfect if y'all like fused 
we have thought about that. You know, the debate right now is the traditional fusion dance, or we're going to use the earrings, and then, you know, is it a Gogeta thing? Is it a Vegito thing? Is it Gotenks? Like, there's a lot of, we'd have to come up with a name, and like, because both of our names have K-E at the end, does it just become Jake or Mike? Like, it's very confusing. Majake. <laughs> Um, and then like, do we adopt the same like height properties that Mike has, but with my like width and neck girth or, um, does Mike just become smaller? Do we become like a smaller, lankier hmm. version of, of us? I don't know. It'd be very strange. Um, we've thought about that. It's yeah. definitely, definitely put some thought in that. So what, um, what led you to start your podcast? Uh, because we failed at making a YouTube channel. Okay. Um, so when was it? It was January of 2017. I was down in Pensacola, Florida and at Exos doing a clinical internship. And, um, Mike and I just got this like, you know, wild idea, like, Hey, let's make a YouTube channel and do something. I think around that time I joined a clinical athlete and had met like, um, Jason LePage uh, and Sam Spinelli and uh, they were producing a lot of content and stuff. And I was like, Oh, we should do this. And so we made a video mm -hmm. and it was horrible and we had like 40 views and I'm pretty sure 37 of those were me and Mike <laughs> and uh, it just didn't go anywhere. Yeah. We ran out of time on like with clinic and, and do like online classes for athletic training and PT and it just didn't happen. And so when I got back up here for summer, one of my buddies has started a podcast and we were like, we should do something. Like we, we failed really bad at YouTube channel, but let's do something. Like, I feel like we, we should be a part of the collective like internet movement that is physical therapy right now. And, uh, <clears throat> did a bunch of research, talked to my buddy. He was like, here's all the stuff that you need to do a podcast. Um, procrastinated <laughs> from doing homework that I should have been doing for athletic training and, decided instead to pour hours and hours of research into podcasting stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, here we are. We started in August, or not August, in October. And um, <clears throat> actually, most of the first like five or six episodes that we recorded, I was in the Redskins training facility, mm -hmm. like in the doctor's office, hiding from the, uh, the maintenance staff, <laughs> or like the janitorial staff as they clean the training room at night. Yeah. And so I just sit there in like a little thing till 11, 11, 1130 at night, and we'd podcast. Um, and here we are like eight months later, we've got 30 episodes and we've been able to connect with some cool people such as yourself and, uh, things are, things are looking up. It's kind of more of a hobby, I would say for us. Mm -hmm. We don't really we want to spend a ton of time investing into it. Um, just cause we have like, he's got school commitments and I've got, I mean, I work probably like right now, probably like 60 hours a week between clinic and then teaching at Shenandoah University. So, okay. Yeah. So what would you say, um, what would you say is the feel of your podcast? Like what, what is the goal of what y'all are trying to get, get out there to the public? Um, I mean, we're, it's like, like in our intro, we're just two dudes that want to help students and clinicians grow in the field of rehab. Okay. Um, we try to, it's like a super laid back podcast. Uh, I make a lot of really terrible nerdy jokes mm -hmm. and, uh, 
we talk a lot about a lot of like crazy pop culture stuff. Um, and then sometimes we talk about PT. I think when you were on, we talked a lot more about Star Wars and zombies than we did about yeah. PT. Um, but it was like that interspersed with like <laughs> fascial adhesions and other other like PT pop culture references, <laughs> or at least all of the references that are commonly argued about on the internet. Yeah. 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 I mean, it kind of varies depending on the guests that we have. Yeah. Um, like, I mean, when we had Zach Abor on, he talked a lot about, you know, like level up initiative and all his stuff and just kind of changing the PT world. And Shout out to his. Zach. Yeah. He's, he's Bay. <laughs> uh, don't tell Steph I said that. <laughs> um, <clears throat> Zach has slid into my DMs more than once. Um, but like him, Zach, uh, Concussion Doc, I think we were, I think we were the, we actually got contacted by Complete Concussions, and I think we were the first podcast that they were, they were on. Cool. Uh, I know he's done some stuff with like the movement PTs, and he's doing a webinar with a clinical athlete, um, and that dude is like the goat of concussion stuff. And so we were, that was kind of a moment for us where like, because for me and Mike, we never really thought that we would do anything like influential yeah. at all or like impact anybody mm-hmm. it was kind of just like we want to talk to cool people and and just have conversations and, and really the focus i guess is in a kind of selfish way like us learning and growing and kind of like and just becoming better pts and better human beings yeah and uh it's just been cool to have people reach out to us and want to be on the show or to you know reach out to other people and they're like oh my god we love you guys and this is kind of like a surreal experience. Yeah. Um, so it's very 2018. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I would say y'all's intro is when you say two dudes just talking about PT, that's very, both of your personalities very much intertwine into how y'all do the podcast. And it's very um, raw slash like, real yeah it's very what is the word i'm looking for joseph this is why you're my my co-host to find the word <laughs> whenever i can't he didn't raise his hand you have to you have to unmute him now you know <laughs> um, i've literally been muted this whole time so anytime i want to give input i'm like oh they can't even hear me so you can't you can't unmute yourself if i meet you uh i don't know i was looking at it there was a button to hit it i i kind of uh, i panicked i didn't know what was going <laughs> so, so i was like ah, i better sh- i should just wait <laughs> it's actually like when you when you say raw though that's we've gotten that feedback from a lot of people that it's just like uh i mean we like you said like i feel like mike and i both bring some different stuff to the table he's a lot more organized and more structured than i am yeah at least like going into the podcast and i feel like i I'm a little bit more like fly by the seat of my pants. Like don't always prepare for everything as well as I should have. Yeah. Um, but we're really good. Like we, I mean, we've been really good friends for forever. So we can kind of like see where each other's going or what our thoughts are and kind of play off each other yeah. pretty well. Um, I really like how you brought up being like raw because I feel like that's one of the things people really doesn't teach you about reality. They really teach you of this hypothetical situation what the clinic is going to be like no matter what setting you're in and then you get out there and it's very different and a lot of that um, when you have people talking about the raw part of that is 
is very eye-opening to, to what life really is like being a clinician. So I think that's that's very good t- uh, subject to really touch upon. Yeah, yeah I mean, one of, one of the things that we've always tried to do is like, you know, our podcast is kind of like a representation of our own journey through PT because, I mean, we started it when we were both students and I mean, now I've been a clinician for six months, I guess, or I guess technically I've been licensed since August, but I've only really been practicing since January because I was still an AT student, but um, it's kind of like our, our own journey. It's like a stream of consciousness of our own journey and kind of growth through PT. Mm-hmm. Cause like every time we talk with somebody, we get different perspectives and we pick up different things and, and grow as a person as well as a clinician. Yeah. Um, and then one of our uh, mottos that we live by, at least in the podcast is dare to be bad. And dare to be, dare bad. To be bad. So there's a story behind that. It's very eighties <laughs> angsty yeah, hairband of you. <laughs> <laughs> So that actually, that, that thing came from, uh, it was a story I told on one of our first podcasts. Um, and my, uh, oh God, Joe, you're going to get muted again. Oh man. Your fan, the fan of death. <laughs> um, so my, uh, my cousin, Jim, um, he's a, like a, he, he works in the com- like computer tech world and does some like, uh, I think like healthcare, um, stuff for like the government or something mm-hmm. like that. I don't know. I don't understand exactly what he does, but I know he works with computers, but he's also a very skilled musician and he plays uh bass. And so he, for the past, like, I don't know, 25, 30 years has been playing like professionally or semi-professionally. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I was in high school, I was, I kind of like dabbled with piano off and on through most of like my middle school, high school years never really took a ton of lessons, but just tried to, I could play well enough that people who didn't know music thought that I was really good. Yeah. Um, and I could always play the intro riff to a thousand miles by Vanessa Carlton. So <laughs> if I went in any, uh, <laughs> the one college dining hall at UVA that had a piano, like all you'd start playing that riff and like every girl's head in the room would just turn and look at you and be like, Oh my God. Um, so like that was probably That's my level trick. of proficiency. Yeah. Uh, but I was learning to play, I wanted to play like, um, like jazz and kind of like some improv blues type stuff. And that's kind of like his niche of music of like, I guess the genre that he plays pretty frequently. And, um, so we were, he was kind of teaching me how to like solo and play with a group. And so we were playing the song by uh, Miles Davis called all blues. And we're going through like the rounds of it and like getting used to like chord progression and everything. And, uh, he would solo and I would play through the chord progression. And then he would like, he wanted me to solo and I was like too nervous and want to do it. And uh, he's like, dude, just, just play, like play something. And so like we went through the chord progression again and he's like nodding at me, like, you know, solo play. And I was like, I can't, I don't know. I was like too embarrassed. And he was just like, Jake, he's like, just dare to be bad. Like, play just play like it doesn't matter what you play just play something if you're off key who cares but it's just us like put yourself out there and play and so that was always just like a little lesson that kind of stuck with me and so that's one of the hashtags that we use in all of our social media things this is probably like i don't know 70 posts total that use that hashtag but um, (laughs) you know but y'all are at the top (laughs) yeah we're all over the dare to be bad hashtag um but that's kind of like a motto that we we've kind of like come to live by as far as the podcast goes it's just you don't need to put that on a shirt 
it's one of our many shirt ideas that and then stealing the ideas from like everybody else that comes on our podcast uh <laughs> should we be worried yeah just don't tell me what <laughs> which you like guys a, are gonna put on a shirt you're like <laughs> incepting this podcast yeah uh we want to do you know like the che Guevara shirt and then there's the che Guevara wearing a che Guevara shirt i think so we want to do a che Guevara wearing a che Guevara shirt but instead of the che Guevara shirt it's a movement dog shirt mm. And also probably not make it shake a bar, make it like <laughs> gray Coke or something like that. <laughs> um, That'd be cool. But yeah, so dare to be bad has definitely been one of the things that we, um, you know, we kind of hold close to our hearts. And I think that's part of the reason why we tend to be raw and bad in the fact that I'm really lazy at editing. Mm-hmm. So I would rather have like, um, you know, the stupid shenanigans and just like, the bad jokes and the horrible intros and all that other stuff yeah because you know i feel like the that's what makes it authentically us is just the mess ups and the awkward silences and the really crappy dad jokes candid is the word (laughs) that i was looking for before but i couldn't i had a brain blast and then i thought of it um so getting getting to our questions um what so so your background is is in strongman is that how you got into exercise uh so i've i mean uh no that's also become a hobby through yeah so i started i started uh i played football and wrestled in high school okay and um when i was a freshman in high school i had a freshman or sophomore I had like a three, I think I had like a three fifteen bench as a freshman and like a three sixty five bench as a sophomore. Mm-hmm. That was like the only lift I was good at. I couldn't really squat and I never deadlifted. Yeah. Um, but like it was enough to make all the seniors in my high school like freak out and go like, oh my God, this kid's strong. And I got on varsity because of that my sophomore year. And so I was just always like liked lifting. Yeah. Um, and then when I got to college, I hit like a 400 pound bench because I was like all I cared about, but um, I, nothing was like, I didn't have great technique. I was kind of just like a bro lifter. Didn't really know what I was doing programming wise. And then uh, <clears throat> I ended up having to get a pacemaker ICD put in when I was a junior. And part of my like cardiac rehab for that was actually doing like prepping for a powerlifting meet. Cause like I was doing like club wrestling and I tried like club jujitsu and stuff like that. I was doing some other activities. And once I had my pacemaker put in, I couldn't do contact sports anymore. Mm-hmm. So that took away like wrestling jujitsu. Um, and really the only thing, and I was going to, I was looking to play like rugby too. And the only thing I could do was, was lift. And, uh, and why did you have to have a pacemaker? So I have, I have dilated cardiomyopathy. Um, there's a long history of sudden cardiac death in my family. My mom died when I was six months old and her brother died. So she died at, my mom died at 24 and her brother died at 22. And when I turned 20, they started doing, um, I mean, they'd been doing like imaging and stuff on me my entire life. But when I turned 20, they finally did like a cardiac, uh, like an echocardiogram, like cardiac mm-hmm. ultrasound. And it showed that I had had some mild hypertrophy and then my ejection fraction was low. 
which, I mean, it was still within normal ranges, but given the family history, my dad freaked out and was like, oh my God, you need to go see a specialist. So from... And what does ejection fraction mean for, uh, for the so public? It, uh, so the ejection fraction is basically the ratio of blood into your heart versus blood out. Mm-hmm. So a normal person, your heart isn't like 100% efficient, but in a normal person, anything over 60% is considered like good. Mm-hmm. Uh, mine at times has gone as low as 40%, mm-hmm. which is like right on the border of heart failure. Okay. So basically, um, for a lack of a super scientific term, yeah. I have, uh, how I like to describe it, the Grinch's heart after he realizes <laughs> that um, the spirit of Christmas and love and all that stuff. So my heart has grown three sizes uh, compared to the normal human. But instead of being like super jacked and like efficient, it's loose and floppy. As Borat says, it hangs like sleeve of wizard. <laughs> and so So it's floppy hearts and <laughs> Yeah. So for like for anybody that's that is actually dealing with a heart condition and you are back now actually lifting competitively very uh you know, high amounts of weight, six hundred pounds. I've seen deadlifting from blocks for, you know, sets of five and plus. What what is some advice you can give for somebody who's probably dealing with something similar? Um, and how to really cope through that? Um, it's it's hard because uh, I think in the cardiac health community, um, there tends to be the desire to want to err on the side of caution. Because, I mean, it's your heart. And if you mess it up, like, really bad stuff can happen. And so it's... I think it, it it depends greatly on what your specific conditions are um, and also what your surgeon you know, or who your like electrophysiologist or cardiologist, what their beliefs and backgrounds are. Yeah. Cause there's a lot of people that uh, like don't do anything. Like after you get a car or like a pacemaker or an ICD, like they just don't, they're like afraid to do anything else. And so I, I was like that when I first had it. Because I've, I've had it for five and a half years now. I got it put in when I was 20 back in. It was my, well, the way I look at it is my cybernetic rebirth. <laughs> I view myself as a cyborg. Okay. So um, I am, as Rob Zombie would say, more human than human. Well, I'm actually less human than human because I'm part machine. But yeah. um, So I had mine put in November 20th of 2012. And for the first, like, probably four to six months, dude, I was, like, super depressed, like, had horrible anxiety. I had no idea what to do with my life because, I mean, you're 20 years old and they just shove a bunch of wires and, like, this crazy, like, piece of machinery in your chest. And, um, you know, the – I don't know. It's just, it just, like, super scary. Like, you, you think that you could die at pretty much at any point. Yeah. especially because my mom and, and my uncle had both passed away like really young. There was a lot of like <clears throat> fear and worry that, you know, I may not make it to 22. I may not make it to 24. Like I didn't, I really didn't know how long I was going to live. Um, and so every year so far in my twenties that I've made it, it's been like a pretty big milestone because my family members hadn't really lived that long. Um, but I was like horribly depressed, super anxious, didn't really know what to do at all 
And uh, eventually I kind of like, my buddy got me into powerlifting and, and like being active again. And <clears throat> through powerlifting, I met like a bunch of different people down in Charlottesville and up here in Winchester. And they kind of like pushed me along and got me to step outside of my comfort zone and do things again. And so for me, the big thing was just like not being afraid because especially when you had like a pacemaker or an ICD put in, there's so many people that like won't drive ever or won't go up on ladders or won't do this, won't do that because their, their worry is that at any moment they could get an 800 volt shock uh, mm. because they're going out of rhythm or they need to restart their heart or whatever it is. And so <clears throat> I kind of just said like, screw that. I'm going to live my life and do what I want to do. And, you know, I mean, there's some, some stuff that I need to be careful of, but at the same time, like I can still put 315 pounds over my head. And for the first like year that had a pacemaker, I was afraid to bench 135 or like do pushups because uh, I thought my chest was going to explode every time I did something. So it kind of goes did into it that. Did feel like, like that or was that just a, like a fear was, that you had? It was purely just a fear. Okay. So you never had like any symptoms that felt like that was going to go wrong? Um, well, I did, but I think it was more psychosomatic or like purely from my fear and anxiety yeah. about it more so than like any sort of physical stuff. Okay. Um, cause like, I remember the first week, first or second week that I had it, I thought I got shocked in the middle of class mm -hmm. and I went back to the hospital and I was like, Oh my God, I felt something. I got shocked. And they're like, no, no, you didn't. You're good. Because they can read that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so for me, like lifting has been hugely instrumental in just kind of like changing, challenging my own fears and my own biases and kind of like um, stepping outside of my comfort zone and just living life. Because mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of people that have cardiac pathologies. Now, granted, it, it differs case by case because if I had like AFib or something like that, it would be very different. Mm -hmm. Um, but I mean, for me, like I, I'm not hugely symptomatic. My big thing has just been ejection fraction and I've been on medication to improve that. I don't get, I've never, have not been shocked in the five and a half years that I have it. And my pacemaker utilization is like less than 1%. So awesome. it's, uh, it's been more preventative than anything else. Yeah. But, um, I mean, that was the reason I got it just because we didn't know, you know, realistically, like you know, is it something congenital or, you know, what would happen? Yeah. So. So you would say it's been majority overall positive experience? Yeah. I mean, there's certain things that I can't do. Like my dreams of becoming like an underwater arc welder are, <laughs> are no longer a reality simply because like, you know, super high electromagnetic fields would be not a good thing for me yeah um technically not supposed to use chainsaws or be near like running motors so you know if you if i'm not supposed to jump my own car which is mm. an awkward conversation sometimes because it's like it gets like i feel like some people are weird if you approach them with jumper cables yeah <laughs> you're like can you can you jump my car I would lead with the, I have a pacemaker and I can't do that's this. That's usually thing. what I do. Okay. 
but like you'd be surprised how many people have like started to walk toward with jumper cables and they just turn the other way or drive off really fast i don't know if it's like a physical thing like if i just have some sort of like resting me face or something like that or lifter face yeah i'd say bitch but (laughs) trying to keep it pg-13 i guess that's not that's pg-13 right technically pg in today's standards yeah um it's very angsty it's an angsty word but yeah so there, so there's some interesting thing i have a very rational fear of microwaves made before 1995 <laughs> uh especially ones in the 70s yeah dude if you've ever seen a 70s microwave that they will run with the door open really there's no safety features on them That's and they terrifying. are not pacemaker safe so when i first got to pt school i didn't I couldn't find a, like a manufacturer's date on the microwaves. So I would stand back in the kitchen and I would like ask people to microwave my food because I didn't know. That's kind of funny. <laughs> perfectly, did you ever like, rational. did you ask anyone? Did you get that figured out or did you just do that throughout PT school? Well, it depended if, if we had two microwaves and one had a date on it, the other one didn't. Mm-hmm. And if someone was using the one that didn't have a date on it, I just didn't want to take the chance. So I would have somebody go microwave for me. But they, I mean, they all knew. Yeah. But it was funny because, like, we shared a lounge with, like, the OT, the occupational therapy students. Yeah. I remember one time I gave my friend Brooke, I, like, she, because she just knew, so I, like, handed her my food. And there's these OT students, like, standing there, like, what the hell is this guy's problem? Like, they're like they were they were just like offended that I just handed some woman like my food and mm-hmm. made her go cook it for me. And it was it was very funny. I had to explain the whole pacemaker situation. So you explained it to them or did you like awkward penguin and run away? <laughs> Probably some sort of combination of both. Okay. Yeah. I mean it could I honestly could have gone either way. I don't I just remember yeah. them like glaring at me like I was some sort of like male chauvinist D bag <laughs> making this poor woman microwave my food. Yeah. So do you feel like this whole experience has helped you, I guess, with your um, empathy when, when dealing with patients who are having like persistent problems? Uh, Has it affected (laughs) your clinician skills in a good way? Uh, Well, I think there's, so there's, there's a lot, when you bring up like empathy, there's a lot more that goes into uh, the feels that I feel when I'm working with patients. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, I have my own perspectives as, like, a, a patient and, and, like, from the cardiac stuff. But my dad is also a paranoid schizophrenic. And so most of my life since I was 11, um, I've been dealing with a lot of, like, stuff with him. Um, so, like, he's gone through just psychiatrist after psychiatrist, medication after medication. Um, he was diagnosed with uh, bipolar disorder depression, post-traumatic stress disorder, persecution of delusional paranoia, um, and now parent schizophrenia. And so that's been a, a very interesting path as well. Mm-hmm. Um, high school was an extremely rough time, like with that, because when I went away to football camp my senior year, he took himself off all medication and then started spiraling downward. And it kind of culminated into this very like – teenage coming of age story where Mm -hmm. I basically we had this like it's very long and complicated 
my goal one day is to have an HBO dramedy named after my <laughs> my formative years. Um, but anyways, like I tried like to screenplay of it. I've I've started. You have. I've started. <laughs> There's a document somewhere on your computer. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I would watch it. I'm trying to think of who I would get to play as myself. I'd need to be a young, unknown actor because this would catapult him to stardom. Yeah. Um, but anyways, so he his, he started spiraling really bad in my senior year of high school. And it ended up into me calling the police and trying to get him involuntarily admitted to a psychiatric facility. And what ended up happening was they told us that we, were have, we would have a, a family hearing, which in all the other instances where he was in psychiatric facilities, it was just like, you know, we meet with the doctors and we talk about what was mm-hmm. going on with him. And uh, <clears throat> this time it was actually like legitimate court hearing with like the magistrate. And uh, I didn't know that until the night before the hearing, I got called by my dad's defense attorney and had to like, it's 17 years old, had to go in and basically like, you know, not sue my dad, but like go, go against him in court and try to like argue for his admittance into uh, care, which we ended up losing. And then I ended up running away from home and living with my wrestling coach high school friends and uh my grandparents like in secret so i like lived out of my truck and uh finished up high school like that um and so like there's dude i could tell you we could sit here for like four days and i could tell you all sorts of stories about yeah like him just disappearing uh driving to arizona for a week without us knowing um just all sorts of crazy stuff but uh, that's that's been another part of, of like I guess my empathy for patients. Uh-huh. So like I have a lady right now I'm working with who's bipolar, and uh, like there's like a little special place in my heart for those people that have like mental illnesses because yeah. I mean I've been dealing with this stuff like that for my whole life. So yeah. so there's the pacemaker like cardiac stuff. There's my dad's health stuff, and then I guess there's like being a clinician too. So I think all of those things kind of go into. Uh, what I experience and how I deal with people. Cause I definitely, I can feel the feels mm-hmm. with some people. Yeah. So. Do you think that level of empathy is common with clinicians as a whole who deal with patients who are going through, I mean, ev- to some degree, I mean, we, we talked about this earlier. It's part of human life with like everyone has their own things going on. Um, do you think there's enough medical professionals in today's society who get to that level of empathy with their patients? Uh, From your experience, anecdotally, <laughs> I don't know if there's a randomized control trial for this. Uh, there's probably not an RCT, at least in my life. Um, where this is like the 12z level of evidence my my (laughs) anecdotes um also always don't you always hate it when people like you ask a question and people always comment on the goodness of the question because i was about to say like that's a great question will (laughs) i feel like that's just face filler filler while you try to think of how that will answer the question um i would i would say i'd have to like qualify that that question Okay. Um, yes and no. 
I think they're they, to some extent, like you like you mentioned, the you know the nature of humanity is like we're gonna experience these like general themes throughout our life of like loss and pain and heartbreak and things like that. So I think that for the vast majority of people, now granted there are some people in PT school and some clinicians that have no people skills whatsoever. Mm-hmm. But I would say for the average clinician, you know, at some point in their life, they've most likely experienced loss, hardship, pain, happiness, all of those basic human emotions that you're sp- that you will at some point encounter in your life. And so I think that you can empathize with people and understand like, you know, the situation sucks or like, yeah. I've been injured. I can understand how you feel, but I think that like, at the same time, there's also a bunch of clinicians that have horrible bedside manner. Mm-hmm. I have uh, two incidents that like really pissed me off uh, going through like medical stuff. One was, so I, I missed PT orientation because I had to have knee surgery. And when I had initially met with my knee surgeon and we were talking about surgery, he looked at me and was like, are you sure you want to do this? I mean, how long do you have to live? Jeez. Because I had dilated cardiomyopathy. And I was just like, what the hell are you talking You know, I'm planning on living to like 85, 90, 117, depending on what modern medicine does for me. Now, did, did you respond in that way or were you just so taken aback that you didn't even know what to say? Because that's what I like. I was I would, so taken aback that I, I like, I just gave him a weird look and I think he, he got the point. And then when I came to grad school, I was talking with uh, someone in the health, like student health department, because I was trying to make sure that I didn't get, um, have anything like jeopardized as far as. Um, my like scholastic endeavors because I had knee surgery and I had heart stuff going on and I, you know, I was going to be going back and forth between Winchester and Charlottesville to make sure that I had all my medical stuff provided for. And uh, he looks in my, well, I start telling him like my uh, medical history. And when I tell him that I've dilated cardiomyopathy, the first thing he says is when's your heart transplant scheduled for? <laughs> Another like, one. Dude, what <laughs> What is it with you people and like making me feel bad about my, like my pathology or my, my yeah. stuff going on? Cause at that point, like no one had ever talked to me about like a transplant being the, the thing for cardiomyopathy. Um, Cause it wasn't, no one had ever discussed that to me as an option before. Yeah. And so like to be presented with that. Just like, out of left field. <laughs> yeah. It like freaks you out a little bit. Yeah. So, and I mean, I mean, that's kind of in the back of my head too. Like, you know, at some point in my life, I may have to have a heart transplant, mm-hmm. um, which would be a little bit scary, but if I get to have one of those cool backpacks that like that one dude on that, like yeah. viral video has personal trainer slash like fitness model. Yeah. Yeah. Who has like the, he's like the guy, like the doc Ock backpack with like tubes coming out of his chest. Yeah. There'll be some pros and cons to that. Um, be a great icebreaker yeah you want to see my heart <laughs> it's it's in this backpack that I carry with me that would freak me out <laughs> like I think I think I would have gone through a lot of the same similar like fears as you 
but if it were if it were to that point where like my heart was a machine and i had to keep it in a backpack like i get freaked out if like <laughs> like before before we were setting up for everything i was yeah. taking out all of my things in my bag and my mouse <laughs> wasn't in the spot that it's usually in, in in my bag and i was like oh my gosh i left it in lexington and like this this sinking <laughs> feeling went through me and i was like I'm not going to have my mouse for two weeks and I'm going to have to go get, get a new one at office depot. And it's just like that, that imagine times a thousand, if I were to have like an electrical heart. Yeah. I mean, you know, maybe one day my hope would be at that point that the, my flavor of dog choice would not be Chihuahua. Mm -hmm. And then I wouldn't have to make that double as like a dog carrying bag. <laughs> Cause I feel like that would be suboptimal for uh, my heart condition. If yeah. there was a small furry animal like clawing around in my electrical heart. Showing on the wires. Yeah. Definitely would not put a guinea pig in there. Yeah. That would not be sweet. <laughs> God forbid like a, like it crawls inside the tube and gets lodged in your chest. And then you have like a lemmy wink scenario from South Park going on. That would be like something from the mummy with like the Beatles. <laughs> crawling in that dude It'd be like oh, alien four. i had so many nightmares as a kid with that <laughs> scared the crap out of me um so so you would say you've had both good the good and the bad with as a patient experience oh definitely um i mean there's those people that have absolutely no bedside manner and tell you like oh when's the heart transplant scheduled and you're like dude oh man that's completely uncalled for why would you say that and then you've got like the nurse practitioners and the PAs that go to bat for you with the insurance company and, and really advocate for you and, and you know, help you get, get stuff paid for. Cause pacemaker surgeries are not cheap. Mm -hmm. You're looking at probably about a hundred thousand dollars. And right around when I got my surgery, shortly after that, my dad lost his job, which meant he lost his insurance. And so within like a, probably a six month span of me getting, like this crazy life altering surgery, I had to figure out a way to get car insurance, health insurance, um, find a way to pay for school because I didn't really have a financial safety net. I was already working 40 hours a week during football season and then like 20 hours a week in the spring um, outside of spring football. And so <clears throat> you just have to like figure all this stuff out on the go. Um, and so pretty much since, I mean, I've been more or less like on my own kind of since high school but once my dad lost his job it was much more apparent like you gotta figure all this shit out on your own yeah so i got to go through this crazy process of like reapplying for uh independent status with like department of education and um for a while i didn't know that i was gonna be able to graduate college so i wasn't gonna be able to afford it and yada 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 but like uva hospital was really instrumental in in that because they were able to put me on like a financial aid program. And so like I had my pacemaker surgery completely covered, my knee surgery completely covered, all my medication was covered. Anything I got done through the hospital was taken care of from junior year of college through uh, this year, January, when I started working and I'm now a contributing member of society. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I mean, there's definitely great people out there in the, the medical world, but there's also some people that just – are not really aware of how to treat people or 
how to communicate effectively or um, maybe don't have that empathy that other people do. So. Yeah, it sounds like you, you had to do a lot of adulting very early on. Unlike, like if you if you look at memes, like adulting memes nowadays, it's like, don't have any food, need to make avocado toast, but you had to get health insurance, car insurance, and a surgery covered at age what? Uh, I was 2012, I think I was, I was 19, 19. turning 20, Jeez. or 20 turning 21, Yeah, something like that. It's tough. Yeah. It's, it's been a fun life, man. Yeah. Um, you know, there's definitely, everybody has their own crosses to bear in this life and it's all about how you deal with it. Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's definitely been moments where like, you know, I struggle to get up out of bed in the morning or I'm depressed or have anxiety issues, but uh, it's all about how you, how you deal with it. Nobody ever likes to hear a story about how you fail. Everyone always wants to hear like how you've overcome all this like crazy stuff. Yeah. And so that's one of the things that keeps me going. That and to one day have my own HBO dramedy <laughs> based on Af on my life. So it's a double edged sword. Yeah. I just the hard part is finding people on HBO that want to sit down and have conversations with me. Um I try probably need to tweet at them more. Maybe they'll pick up my, maybe we should start a campaign to have everyone in the PT community tweet at HBO and see if they'll make a story about my life. Or we could get you on the Ellen show. Yeah. That's a thing. That I just need to do a viral video. I don't know how to do that. Do I need a virus first? <laughs> I, I, <laughs> what if it's a bacterial video? <laughs> Does that get more views? I don't know, but either way, I'm not taking antibiotics. That's how how you do it, right? If you if you have if you have a bacterial infection, yeah, that's usually. No, but if I want to make a bacterial video, I shouldn't take the antibiotics. No, that'll that'll get you 47 views like that YouTube video that you did. <laughs> Dude, that's what started this whole social media thing. If we hadn't failed at that, um, we wouldn't have made podcast stuff and we wouldn't have had you on the podcast and yeah. you wouldn't be sitting here in my living room. You'd probably be sleeping on in your car somewhere in the middle of Pennsylvania. <laughs> I guess now maybe DC. You have friends in DC so you would have stayed yeah. there. But yeah, you know. It's funny how that works. It is life is a very interesting series of completely random events that we give meaning to. Yeah. Yeah. So Joe, you have any you have any specific questions before before we kind of go to the next topic? Are you muted? No, I think it says he's Joe, you I think you muted yourself. <laughs> Unmute yourself. There you oh, go. There it is. Ah, oh, there we go. No, I don't have any questions. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I think I said that five times. <laughs> Hmm. Um, so I guess switching gears slash kind of moving into the wrap up um, what would you say 
as a clinician, so I'm I'm planning on asking this to all of, all of the medical professionals mm-hmm. that I interview. If if you had one thing that either like one overarching principle in the healthcare system that you wanted to fix or one thing that you just didn't want a patient to experience or tell you about, like, because it was totally solved. So like if an extreme, if cancer was solved, we would never hear cancer again. For me, I would say I would never want to hear people say that they have bone on bone or like a shoulder of an 80 year old. What, what is the one thing that you would either like to contribute to solving in your career or you wish that like evidence and common practice will eventually kind of ferry out of the system? Uh, I, to me, the one thing that I would say I don't like hearing and don't ever want to hear is that a patient feels like they're... Um, <clears throat> like they're not being cared for or their needs aren't being met. Mm-hmm. Cause that's definitely something that I've seen in my brief foray into being a clinician is that like, there are tons of people that have had PT previously and just had like really bad experiences. And they yeah. felt like they were just treated like a body part or they were handed a sheet and told to go in the corner and do exercises Yeah, and they weren't given attention. They weren't talked to. Um, their fears and their worries and their apprehensions and their concerns weren't really met. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that I always try to do, you know, whether I succeed or not is to just make sure that whatever patient that I'm seeing feels like I care about them because I do. And so, you know, I, I know that it's the medical system as it is now because of insurance and it's just crazy. You try to go to a, you know, a doctor's visit and you maybe see him for like five minutes and you're sitting in the room 20, 30 minutes before you actually see your doc. And I don't like that. That's one of the things I really like about PT is being able to interact with people. And, um, would you say that happened a lot whenever you were going to these appointments for your heart, heart stuff? Yeah. I mean, it, it's just kind of the way stuff is. I've, I've definitely sat in rooms for like 45 minutes before. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's a downside to the medical system, mm-hmm. but I think that the doctors that I have and my electrophysiologists and the NPs that work with me and the PAs that work with me and the RNs that work with me, they're all like, they care about me as a person and they'll do whatever they can. It's just, you know, the way that they, they have so many patients scheduled a day and they only have so much time that they can give you. Right. Um, but that's my, my big thing is I, I would want that uh, sentiment to go away. I don't like talking to a patient and them feeling like they, they haven't been cared for or their needs haven't been addressed. Mm-hmm. Cause I feel like that is a poor reflection on, um, you know, the people that have treated them previously. Yeah. So would you say that, um, <coughs> would you say that that's something that, physical therapy like the profession of physical therapy needs to i guess abolish from from our field first like that would be your focus or like the medical system as a whole i mean i would love for it to be the medical system as a whole but realistically i don't think that 
that that's going to happen just with the way that we we treat people right now. And I, when I say treat, I mean more like the way that the doctor-patient interactions currently have to be because of insurance regulations. Yeah. And because even though we want everyone to have like be healthy and be out of pain and have all their needs addressed, like it's still a business and people have to make money. Right. And so a lot, a lot of times there's limitations on like how often you see people or how long you see people or purely because they're trying to keep the doors open. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, I would love for that to be, and I think that there are, there's definitely people in the PT world. Um, I mean, if we give another shout out to Zach Abor and Left Warmth Initiative, I think that he's, he's someone in, you know, his um, Justice League of physical therapy are definitely trying to. So we're going to, DC or Marvel? Well, we went Avengers on our podcast, mm-hmm. but I think in a recent message, Steph used the term Justice League, so I don't know if that was like a boo-boo on their comic book knowledge mm-hmm. or Questionable. that's what they're <laughs> – I mean, I would like to see the Level Up Initiative become like the greatest comic book crossover in history. Yeah. Second only to Patton Oswalt's uh, <laughs> rant on uh, Parks and Recreations. But um, I mean, there's, def- there's definitely a push in, I would say, like our age group, the not quite millennial, but like kind of millennial, new age, young PT crowd. I think we're we're definitely considered millennials. I don't care. I'm an old soul. Yeah. Yeah. But the, I think, so, so what I think it is, is um, as a whole, the millennial generation doesn't have too much of a problem speaking out against like social injustices. I wanted you to say tyranny so bad. <laughs> tyranny. <laughs> <laughs> that, the tyrannical like iron fist rule of, of Medicare and third-party payers. Oh man, Medicare is the worst. But that's a that's a whole other. We could do a whole other podcast on that. <laughs> um, yeah, but I, I think I think it, it's a collective effort. It's going to take a collective effort. Um, but I definitely think our generation is going to drive a lot of change into that. Yeah. No, I. I and, and and I mean, like it. It needs to change, and I, I feel like this is the the age group of the you know the super social justice warrior videotape everything, turn it into a viral video. Yeah, like age group is definitely the group that will take to the internet and to the streets, and um, you know can be a force for change for PT. Yeah, uh, and I think is you know it's our generation that's getting into you know, teaching con ed courses and becoming professors in PT programs and getting on the board, you know, with the APTA um, that are going to be the ones that are going to inspire that kind of change. Yeah. So, I mean, there's not to say that the people that are in those positions right now aren't great at what they do or, or you know, being like contributing like a ton to the, the profession as a whole. But I think that, things are just changing so rapidly and the way that we look at rehab and the way that we look at patient interaction, the way that we look at even pain and you know, what pain is, is, is so different than three years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago. Yeah. So 
So if you had, if you had one piece of advice to give to like a patient or athlete who has become a patient and to some regard, not able to do what they want to do, what would you, what would you tell them or what resources would you direct them to if they feel like they're not getting the care that they need from a physical therapy standpoint? I'm making this face simply because I don't want to use the comment on the quality of your question as a filler. <laughs> um, so you took like a five second pause. Yeah. I, I don't really know how to answer that question in a blanket way. Mm -hmm. I feel like a lot of it depends on case to case on the person that's in front of you Yeah, because everyone's needs are going to be completely different. Mm -hmm. Um, and it's going to vary based on like, you know, what that person, their like social background is, their economic background is, their family life is like, you know, what is their support system like? What do they have access to? Um, all of those things would go into, to factor in or kind of like what they need or what they feel like they're not getting. Yeah. So that's why it's like, I don't know that I can, mm -hmm. <laughs> I have to give you the, the age old physical therapy answer of it depends. It depends. Every time I hear someone say that, especially now that we've previously talked about how PT is kind of like the Jedi Order or we want it to be like the Jedi Order. Yeah. Every time I hear it depends, I just imagine the like classic scene of like, these are not the droids you're looking for. So it's just always like, it depends in my head. It's just Obi-Wan, like Alec Guinness just going like, it depends. Like you, people you're not like, getting the answer that you want exactly, <laughs> but you might get it in the future. That's what I always feel like. It's just like the Rolling Sunsets. You can't always get what you want, but if you try sometimes, you just might find you get what you need. Well, that is all we have with this episode of the Learning Life podcast with 66.7% of the movement docs. Only if you're going by body mass. Only by body mass. 50% of the intellectual property. And remind the people where they could find you. Um... Do I have to, I have to like actually look at my, it's, so we're on Instagram as uh -huh. TMD underscore the movement docs. Um, we're also on like Twitter. We don't have a Facebook page and we have a website that's, I believe TMD movement docs.com. Cool. So there's like some stuff there, but our podcast is on iTunes, SoundCloud, player FM, Stitcher, some some other stuff. Um, so pretty much anywhere you would listen to a podcast, you can probably find us. Cool. And we just talk about whatever we want to talk about. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Yeah, thanks a lot. Thank you so much for listening. Follow us for more content on Instagram and Facebook at the Alinea Collective and our website, theolinicollective.com. Additional platforms you can download the podcast include iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Player FM, or wherever else you get your podcasts. New episodes dropping weekly.